Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, episode 914. As I look back on the NFL Week 3, which is really not done yet, technically. Well, it's not done yet because uh, the Bengals are are still uh, playing the uh, Rams in, in a game that will not go down in the football annals of greatest games. Trust me, this has been an awful game. Right now, Bengals are up 19-9, and folks, if, unless you have a uh, betting interest in this, a gambling interest, please go to bed. Just say, I, even if you're on the West Coast, like, time, well, maybe the West Coast is 8 o'clock. Even, even still, just read a book. I, I, like, this game has been god-awful. Both of these games this evening, this Monday night game, Monday night doubleheader with some shit. I told you, the, I'm not I'm not feeling the Monday night doubleheaders at all. They, they just make, outside of just pure greed, they make zero sense. Both All four games have been I'm sorry. They've been horrible. They've been just the quality of play. I'm just, it's just, you know, it's the NFL's greed, but we've been down that road. But go to bed, please. Go to bed. Just save you. You will thank yourself. You will thank me and yourself in the morning. Just go to bed. Because this game, like I said, unless you have a gambling interest, this game is not even worth it. Uh, Themes of the week. Recording this course on the Monday night. Uh, I will tell you next week why we record really a day early. And this will get released, you know, Tuesday. This will get released uh, tomorrow, hopefully tomorrow. <laughs> but I'll tell you, in, I'll tell you next week why we are recording this a day early. So for the themes, the Miami massacre and we hate Dion. I will flush those out over the course of the uh, episode of the podcast. But as always, we begin all the thoughts of Buffalo Bills for the second straight week. Handle a mediocre opponent. Now, I know Washington was 2-0, but we know Washington is not. One, commander, Josh, you know, come on, Sam Howell. You know, we're not, the Washington commanders are not a very good team. And Buffalo came into FedEx and just kicked the shit out of the Washington, out the, out the, out the, I was about to say skins, but they, they kicked the shit out of, you know, out the commanders up and down the field, held the commanders to 230 yards. Uh, Howell had a, a night or a game that, you know, he'll soon hopefully forget. Uh, four interceptions. Defense hung in. The Washington's defense hung in for a half. But eventually, you know, when you turn over the ball against a, a team that has clearly more talent than you do, then that's going to catch up. And the floodgates completely broke open in the second half. This game went from like 16 nothing to 37-3 or 37-0 within the blink of an eye. And again, I knew this. Listen, listen. I, as a Washington fan, I knew this was a horrible matchup. The Washington offensive line is at best mediocre, uh, at best average. I would say lean towards mediocre. Buffalo has is even without Vaughn Miller, who's a Hall of Famer, has a superior in elite pass rushers, and they can they rotate them, you know, as if they were you know Alabama in their prime, you know Alabama in their heyday when they were winning national championships. They have a plethora of pass rushers and the Washington offensive line had no chance in that game. Just zero chance. Why Buck Bills have rushed for 168 yards. Josh Allen only 46 of those. We know the less yards Josh Allen runs for and the more yards that the other players, running backs, run for. That is the buff seemingly to me the Buffalo formula along with great defense for winning. Now again, if you're Buffalo, listen, you're not gauging your season off beating the Raiders and the commanders. That's not like those two teams, you're not going to be facing those two teams come playoff time. Um, so, or that level, or even that level of competition. We understand that. But what you do like is, and 
contrary to the Cowboys, we'll get to them later. You you rule like a team that has school aspirations to handle their business like professionals and just tear apart and destroy inferior competition, especially on the road. It was a it was an ugly day. It was raining all weekend, especially in the DMV and up and up and down the eastern seaboard for that matter. And um you come on the road. I've seen games where teams come on the road, the weather's bad, and you play down to the competition, the game turns out to be a lot closer than what it should be. So if you're Buffalo, from a professional standpoint, you handled your business and there's something that you can build off uh moving forward. Now again, they will have the absolute asset test this weekend. On Sunday, that would with Miami. We'll talk more about that later. But that, uh, so, but good momentum going into that that Miami showdown uh, for Washington. Look, you know, you're two and one. Like, we're, we're, you know, at in, at the end of September, you are two and one. Um, you're going to go into two, into October two and one. So you know what it is. You can't complain too much. We know this team. Washington has limitations, especially uh, offensively with the offensive line. Uh, Sam Howell's going to have days like this, Sundays like this. There's all there is to it. And we know that Sam Howell is just a stopgap quarterback. Like, they, the franchise quarterback for this team has not, has yet to reveal himself to appear in a Washington uniform. So just keep that in mind when you're watching Washington from week to week. But the key, you know, the whole, the key to this is Buffalo came out and did what a quality Super Bowl caliber team should do stomp the hell out of, out of the inferior. Uh, inferior opponent. Marquee games. Um, well, a couple of marquee games uh, today. It had to begin uh, with, and really not any great games. In fact, there wasn't really one great game. We had to, by default, we had to we had to pick one game to be game of the week. But the game that stood out, and just from a, a historical standpoint, from a standpoint of just like. Did that just happen? We had to look at the Miami Dolphins and what they did to the Denver Broncos. And I love this game on so many levels because, first of all, I love you got to be respect high level skill and greatness. And this this Miami offense is shaping up to be a great, great offense. You got Tua, Tua is playing as well as any quarterback in the league uh, for, for this first couple uh for the first three weeks. I know Patrick Mahomes is still the standard, but Tua has been just on fire and this offense looks frankly just unstoppable. Uh some of the they put 70 points on the Denver Broncos. 70. And they could have both they could have broke the all time record if they really if they wanted to. They really could have. Here's some of the numbers. <laughs> 726 total yards, 350 yards rushing, um 376 yards passing, basically perfect balance. 10 touchdowns in the game. Uh, it's the most points scored in 57 years. You got to go back to 1966. Uh, the all-time all high for points in the game is the 1940 Chicago Bears when they took out Washington 73 to nothing. Also, Washington had a game in 1966 where they scored 72 points against the Giants, which is the highest scoring game of total points in NFL, NFL history. They beat the Giants 72 to 41 in 66. Um, and this was, I, I mean, to say it was a woodshed special, to say it was a undressing, that thought that, that just doesn't serve the purpose. This was absolute, this was like Madden 
Tecmo Bowl when you just had when you just get your ass kicked. First of all, if it was Mad Tecmo, the twenty the twenty one nothing rule would have been in effect. So that, it wouldn't even reach that point. But this was just annihilation of of historical proportions, and I couldn't be happier that the Denver Broncos were on the uh, the, the wrong side of it. I couldn't be happier. Um, the Denver Broncos have been the without question the biggest disappointment this season at zero and three. Um, they look awful. Uh, and you, you should have known something was bad. See, what the Washington football team put, the Washington Commanders put 35 points on Denver. So that probably should have gave you a sense that this could probably, this could get ugly. I thought, you know, might be 40. Maybe I thought Miami would definitely put like 40 on them, but I did not, I, I did not see 70 coming. I don't think anybody saw 70 coming. But the bottom line is, this has been a absolute shit show so far with the Denver Broncos, and I can't help but to think about the comments that Sean Payton made about Nathaniel Hackett. I just can't help to think about that. Just, it's like the football coaching guys were like, really? Coaches, other coaches don't criticize other coaches fired or even if they're working, even if they're they're coaching another team. They just don't, from that standpoint, especially a fired coach. You know, it's one thing for another coach to you know to talk shit about you and you respond and whatever, whatever. We go through the media and that whole ordeal for a week. We've seen that before. But you talking about another for you sitting on another fired coach, another fired coach. It just doesn't happen. It just you know, Sean Payton did a lot of talking preseason and throughout the summer. He did a lot of talking. Uh, we we talked about this last week or maybe a couple weeks ago uh, when Denver. Um when Denver lost their first game. But, yeah, when Denver lost their first game when they looked God, when they looked awful in terms of how they were playing offense. But this right here is like something that – this happens to teams that absolutely – where the culture is is shot. Like, ask what was like this happened. There's something wrong with your culture. Like, there's something – somebody put 70 points. And, again, we, we'll get more – We'll talk more about the Miami offense. Miami offense is is just ridiculous right now. And I don't, again, I don't see how you defend that offense right now. I don't. But when somebody puts seventy on you, when somebody is able to basically name their score on your on your team, there's something wrong with your culture. Someone like there's something wrong with your culture. You know, I'd be equivalent of a team beating another team in the NBA by like by fifty points, by sixty points. Like it's certain, certain, you're gonna get your ass whipped at times. That's just the nature of sports. You're going just some of those nights, three point shots and NFL turnovers, things or injuries. So you're gonna get a game more than likely where seventy percent or eighty percent of teams in the league are gonna get gonna get one ass whooping. It's just the nature, the course of the game, all in the game. But this right here is this is. Like I said, you you don't have you don't have guys that believe in themselves. They damn sure don't believe in what whatever Sean Payton is preaching right now. Because that was they they when I mean quit, they laid down and it was like you know it's it, they basically you know they were on the golf course by, by the second quarter, or maybe by the first quarter. So that damn this thing is going to end like a horror movie terribly and i'm telling you right now denver is entering that cat there they're, they're, they're beginning to enter that category of teams are gonna be like look we can't lose to them they really they're, they really are entering that category we don't no we can't they're going if we're, we're in one game it's gonna be against the denver broncos i'm telling you 
Like they, like they're not that far away from that category. So, um, I don't know what Sean Payton again. I when you lose like that, I, I just don't know what. I don't know what you tell your team. I don't know what the film session is like, the media like that. that I don't know what you can do. Like I, I don't know what you, what you, how, how you sell your team on the rest of the season. Again, there are fourteen games left, so it's, it should be an easy sell for the rest of the season. Consider. Well, no, we know. Oh, we know Denver's not doing anything this year. They're not. They're, they're not a playoff team. We understand that, but you should be able to sell your team on. Hey, it's only September. When we, you know, it'll be October. Still got fourteen games left. We can turn this around. You can start showing. You know, I've seen over three teams still make the plus. I mean, there's things that you can say, but I don't know from a site how you can actually. Get your team to believe in what you're saying at this point. If you're showing Peyton, I, I just don't know. After something like that, game of the week, and then again, this was not a great game, but it, you know, for and we'll get to that for for this schedule and for some of the games that took place, it was the best that probably that we could do. Maybe you know the Sandy, maybe just Sandy, the Los Angeles, um, the Charger Minnesota game might be might have been more entertaining, but. This was this was a pretty good game. Um, great win for Indianapolis, twenty-two nineteen over Baltimore in Baltimore. Again, the weather was atrocious. Both teams actually ran the ball well. Uh, the difference difference was the field goal kickers. And who would have thought that uh, that uh, Baltimore that uh, Indianapolis would have would win the battle of the field goal kickers when Baltimore has Justin Tucker? But that was the case. Um, and also some sloppy play from from Baltimore, a couple of turnovers. That was just enough to get by to get Indianapolis by twenty two nineteen. Uh, this is despite the fact that Baltimore did have one hundred eighty six yards rushing, one hundred and one from Lamar Jackson. And listen, we might look at back look back at this and say maybe Indianapolis is better than what we expected. Uh, but the bottom line is, if you have Gardner Minshew playing quarterback and you are at home, that's a game that you absolutely should win. And so it's a bad loss for Baltimore. It is. And again, Baltimore will be fine. They're going to make the playoffs. They're 2-1. The sky's not falling. But for a team that I'm certain that certainly has Super Bowl aspirations, it's a horrible, it's a bad loss. Like, you should not lose to Indianapolis. Indianapolis does not have great skill position players. I mean, they think about they had 139 yards rushing, and John Taylor, of course, is, is not playing. Like, so it's like, you know, you know, and Anthony Richardson, of course, is hurt. But, you know, like, he's a rookie. So I again the, the talent they don't really have a lot of great a lot of great talent in terms of skill position players. We know again on offensively defensive lines we know they're solid. They we know that they have top players on the on their offensive defensive lines. They do in terms of you know, the coach do, but um, that team does not have a lot of talent anywhere else, uh, especially at the the important positions. But give them a lot of credit. They they went to Baltimore really. And stood up to Baltimore physically. We know Baltimore. We know how dominant Baltimore can be at times. Overwhelming they can be at home uh, with their physicality. That was not the case. Indianapolis went toe to toe with them physically and really and stood up to the challenge and give them credit for that. They hung in there and edge were able to get by twenty two nineteen. Also, um, the Dallas Cowboys. And when you talk about humble pie. Uh, both Baltimore and Dallas had some this week. Dallas falls to Arizona, twenty-eight to sixteen. The Cardinals had two hundred twenty-two yards rushing in this game. 
And this is why, listen, this is why I can't take Dallas series as a Super Bowl contender. First of all, Joshua Dobbs is the Cardinal quarterback, number one. Number two, that is not a very – the Cardinals, you look at the talent on the Cardinals, it's not very good. The Cardinals, again, the Cardinals play hard. They can actually rush the, the passer. The offensive line played well in this game. But that, they don't have a lot of talent on that team right now. They just don't. Um, there's no way that they should be able to run for 222 yards with Joshua Dobbs as the quarterback. Like, you stack the line scrimmage and please Joshua Dobbs beat us. And he did make a couple. He, he made enough big plays. Arizona had 400 yards of offense, and they put 21 points on the board in the second half, in the first half. So he made enough plays for uh to to keep them at bay and made and actually played well in the game. Actually outplayed um Dak Prescott to be honest with you. And this is here's the thing about Dallas: all this hype about this great defense and you know people putting them up there with the '85 Bears in, in Cowboy Land. Here's why this defense is not a great defense because you can run against them, and that's been the case for you. even last year. You can run if you are if you have a power offensive line or some power backs, you absolutely can run can run down their throats. Absolutely. You neutralize the pass rush with Mike, Parsons, uh, Michael Parsons. Make those rushes come up the field. You can run right down their throats. That's why I will, I will always take – that's why the Eagles and 49ers are clearly better teams because those teams will exploit that in a heartbeat. They both will run down Dallas's throats in a big spot. So you that is their Achilles heel as far as – on the field is in terms of tactically and X's and O's wise, you absolutely can run on that team. And as far as from a mental standpoint, hey, it's Mike McCarthy, it's the Cowboys, it's Jerry's world. We know that team doesn't handle prosperity well. We know that they are not a professional football team from the standpoint of uh, as a Super Bowl contender. If you are a, if you are, a, if you want me to take you legitimately serious as a Super Bowl contender, you whoop Arizona's ass. You keep it moving. Like you, that's not even you like. What are we talking about here? The Cardinals are the Cardinals are, are a bad football team. If you have serious aspirations about winning a Super Bowl, it's way too early, early in the season for a, a throw up game, a throwaway game. Like that comes when you're like six and one, or six and zero, oh, or seven and one, or seven and two. Not when you're two and zero. Oh. Yeah, you don't have these types of games. You should be rolling. Like Miami's rolling right now. The 49ers are rolling right now. Those teams are are killing it right now. Kansas City. Toss out that first game without two of their best players. They're rolling right now. You don't have throwaway games in in September like this. Like if you if you especially if you won when you won your first two games seventy to ten, they should have rolled over right over Arizona in this game. Like that should have been that game should have been you know thirty to 10, thirty to seventeen thirty to thirty to ten. Uh, 24 8, 20, I mean, excuse me, 24 7, something like that. There's no way that Arizona should have been, should have been in that game with Dallas. No way. But Dallas does not have the, the, the psyche. They don't have the mental toughness. They don't have the discipline to handle prosperity. Your owner is bouncing around, you know, basically handing you the Super Bowl, handing you the Super Bowl trophy after week two. That's, that is the, they take on that mentality. They take on that personality of J- Jerry Jones. They do. When Jerry's high, they're high. When Jerry's low, they're low. There's no in-between. There's no medium. You want to be medium. You don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too low in in professional sports, especially the NFL from week to week, where things can change at a drop of a dime. 
So, but that's the Cowboys, and that's been the Cowboys for the last 30 years now, so we shouldn't be shocked or surprised. It just happened, happened a little bit earlier than what we thought, considering their schedule. So, that's all. From that standpoint, I know I went on that Cowboy, little Cowboy rant, but hey, listen, Cowboy fans, you should be used to seeing this. You should be used to seeing this. Chargers 28, Minnesota 24. Minnesota finds new and creative ways to lose. They have seven fumbles this season. Seven. Only played three games. Seven fumbles. Uh, the story is about this game was about Justin Herbert, uh, 40 of 47, 405 yards and three touchdowns. And I'll repeat those numbers 40 of 47, 405 yards, three touchdowns. But he did not win the week. I'll let you know who won the week. It was a big, it was, it was a, it was, it was a tough deal for contenders of who won the week because especially with the college football, especially with some, some records that, uh, you know, we'll talk later on about uh, a certain coach. So it was, it was some tough competition for who won the week, but Justin Herbert definitely would have been in consideration. He was phenomenal. We know what type of quarterback he is. We know he's a franchise quarterback. This certainly deserved all the money that he got. Uh, San Diego ran to a team that, excuse me, the Chargers, still get, still call them San Diego. The L.A. Chargers ran to a team that found that they, you know, they ran to themselves in essence, like a worse version of themselves because Minnesota – now, like the Chargers for many years, they're finding new and creative, way to, creative ways to lose. And Minnesota last year won all those close games. Now that, you know, that worm has turned. They've lost back-to-back games by four points. Um, I think that this will be Kirk Cousins' last season with Minnesota. And that, that will be that. Stock up, stock down. So, so I'm sorry. Got a little ahead in terms of my seg- segment. The deep dive. Has the season started? Um, so, we are a month into the season. Like I said, this you know I've, I've been on this for the entire season. You have to be patient with this season. You just have to be there. The scheduling has been horrible. There hasn't been very many good quality games. The, the scheduling, for the most part, is somewhat backloaded. Um, you have a number of like young quarterbacks. Uh, starting the quarterback has been some shit. That's why these games have been bad. Let's be honest. Let's start at the top. Quarterback has been some shit. Seventy five percent of the quarterbacks are under the age of twenty seven. So I will. I'm not gonna read all the names, but I'll read you some of the names that are starting this season: Joshua Dobbs, Zach Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Gardner Minshew, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Desmond Ritter. That's just name a few. Like I didn't even name all of them. That's just to name a few of the starting quarterbacks who are playing this year. I'm not even counting, like, the Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, Derek Carr gets hurt, so you get Jameis Winston. Derek. So, um, yeah, that's that's where we're at with quarterbacking this year. Jordan Love, who's playing well, but still, like, it is a shift of quarterbacks. You're out with it. You, you know, Rodgers is hurt. Brady's retired. Uh, you know, some of these older quarterbacks that we see in the past are, are gone. So now we have this shift of new, of a lot of young, talented, of young quarterbacks who some of them have potential, but there are a lot of rookies. There are a lot of growing pains right now. You have a number of rookies starting. Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, you know, Ritter. So there are a number, well, I don't think Ritter is a rookie, but C.J. Stroud. So there are a number of young quarterbacks, and you're going to see this type of inconsistent play. And again, the quality, the schedule for the first three weeks has been terrible. And really, I was looking at the schedule ahead. Yeah, you got a couple of games that will stand out like this week with Miami and Buffalo. But for the most part, it doesn't get serious 
So as far as multiple great games, so like some like week eight, week nine, like that's and again the NFL backloaded the schedule, similar to the NBA does, and and but mostly there's just some bad quarterbacking going on, some awful quarterbacking. That's just there's no two ways about it, and you're going to, have to be very very patient with this NFL season, um, because right now the quality of quarterback is just not there. I mean Daniel Jones is okay, Sam Howell. You know, Dak hasn't been great, like, to be honest with you, you know. So the quality, you know, Russell Wilson is on the decline. We understand that. Uh, so Kenny Pickett, like, think of him, like, just think of the names that I'm giving you right now. Like, think of the names that I'm giving you, that I've given you. Like, there's, it is not a who's who's list of quarterbacks by any stretch of the imagination. Like, some of these guys, you know, there were years where you can call a number of guys like game managers, and that would be a great a great thing. Some of these guys that are not even a lot of these guys can't even can't manage the game because they're just not experienced enough. So you have to be very 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 patient with uh, this current FL season. It will eventually it will pick up though. Stock up, stock down, stock up. Um, we have to talk about. Brock Purdy. Um, now, San Francisco absolutely manhandled the Giants on Thursday night. No surprise there. But the big picture for San Francisco is the play of Brock Purdy. He has been great this year. He's picked up right where he left off in the regular season from the regular season. Uh, last year, he is 8-0 career as a starter. And the more and more you watch him play, the more and more you wonder what if in terms of that AMC championship against Philadelphia. With all due respect to, to the Eagles, who had a phenomenal season, came up, came very close to winning a championship. I, I just would have loved to see that game with Brock Purdy playing because he's been just nothing short. When he's been healthy, he's been nothing short of spectacular. And they have right now, that is now, that's the best team. They they are the most complete team in football. I Again, Kansas City, I still got to get them the champions not because they had the best player in the sport. But the most well-rounded team in all of football right now from top to bottom is San Francisco. They just are. Um, and if Purdy stays upright, that team will be is going to be a monster to deal with. They can play. They their game travels anywhere. They're going to run the ball. They're going to do. They have an identity. They they are a absolute machine. And again, we said this earlier during the summertime. We said this even over the course of the season. It's going to be a recurring theme. This is a big year for San Francisco. So a huge year for that team. It really is. So. Uh, they look like a team that right that's on a mission. Um, that division is not very good. The Rams, Seattle, you know, it's not what it not what it once was. They're gonna run away with that division. Uh, but again, it's gonna come down to you know, it's, it's gonna listen. It's coming. It's gonna come down to Philadelphia and San Francisco. Those two teams in the NFC are heads and shoulders above everybody else. Forget about Dallas. Forget about anybody in 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 the South, uh, NFC South. If you, it's, those are the two teams. That's it. Like that. That is all there is to it. Is those are the two monsters. Those are two of the three best teams in the NFL. I'm, if I'm breaking the teams right now, I would go San Francisco, Kansas City, Philadelphia in that order. Those are the three top teams. I know Miami's been great, but again, I gotta see more out of Miami, especially in in a playoff situation. I'm talking about teams. Those those three teams have won playoff games, been the conference championships. Miami still has yet to prove that. Uh, in comparison to San Francisco, Philadelphia, and of course Kansas City, 
we, I mean, stock down week, week, week three schedule, there were a number of just awful games, and it got capped off with this Cincinnati Ram game, which, again, would, would have just absolutely put you to sleep uh, if you didn't fall asleep already. So that's the, the stock down is, you know, the, the scheduling show, the scheduling so far overall. And, these again, we've talked about how bad the Monday night games, doubleheaders have been. Who won the week? Andrew Reed. So let me get so Andrew Reed passed passed uh Andrew Reed passed Tom Landry for the all time wins in regular season as well as combined postseason with two hundred and seventy one. The only coaches that are ahead of him are Don Shula, Bill Belichick, and George Hallis. Um, Andy Reed has been is one of the great offensive minds of this the greatest offensive mind of this generation. He, I would put him up there with any offensive mind that in the history of the game. I think you know, I think I great offensive minds. I think Bill Walsh is at the top of that list. But when you talk about Andy Reid, you just talk about just consistently. His teams are always he just wins games. I mean, that's all there's to it. He he just wins games, and year in and year out, you know that you're going to be at worst, and and at worst you're going to be you know eleven wins and probably the conference championship right now, or 12 wins in the conference championship. That's where he's at right now with this Kansas City machine that he has. And he's had a remarkable, just legendary career. Like what he did with Philadelphia, turning them around. I saw it because I saw what it looked like, you know, in being in college during that time. I saw what it looked like before Andy Reid got there. It, and it wasn't pretty. It was not pretty at all. And he took, basically took Ray Rose's players and, Immediately had one had one bad year. Then they went on us went on a ridiculous run of conference championships and nothing but and really set the foundation for Philadelphia being a Super Bowl caliber team in 2017. That was his team. Sorry, Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl, but that was Andy Reid. Andy Reid's footprints in terms of how he built that culture and developed that culture. And again, you can you can't look if you can if you hate Kansas City because they win. That's cool. Whatever. You know, that's whatever. But hard to root against a guy that, you know, is as humble as Andy Reid is and, uh, again, is a absolute football offensive genius. He, he just is. And you look how, you know, what makes a great coach and what makes a great leader is delegation. He delegates to Steve Spagnola, his defensive people. I'm just going to worry about the offense and, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll meet at the middle. That's it. Like he, like he, you know, Andy Reid, and again, he does it the right way. Again, of course, yeah, you have to have the quarterback, and having a generational talent doesn't hurt. But Andy Reid's teams have always been dominant at the point of attack, offensive line, defensive line. That's how, and that's how, that's how you, and that's why they've been. That's why his teams have been so consistent, even when the quarterback gets hurt, or even when the quarterback is not as good. Their offensive line, their defensive lines are going to be near at the top in terms of the NFL, especially with the offensive line. Period. So he knows how to build. He knows how to build a winner. He knows what, in terms of the culture, he knows how to develop a winning culture. And he really, like, I, Belichick, I don't know how long Belichick will coach. I, I think Andy Reid has a legitimate chance to finish in the top three. Well, he's fourth now. I think he can. Belichick is going to eventually pass Shula. This is going to happen. I, I you know, Andy Reid could get to number two behind Belichick. I would not be surprised. I, I guess I, I, he has Patrick Mahomes. Like Mahomes is a monster. I would not be surprised if if, if Reid finishes with the second round of wins behind Belichick. I don't think he's passing Belichick because right? Belichick is 
just going to coach until, I don't know, God knows he could be 80, 85. As long as Belichick is physically able, he's going to coach. That, this is just what he does. And, you know, he's not going to get fired from uh, New England, no matter you know how bad it gets. And they'll, they'll be competitive enough to, you know, to stay around. So, but uh, overall, I did read, Andrew wins the week, 271 victories. That's, that's a lot of football games. That's a lot of, that's a lot of football. That's a lot of wins uh, combined regular season and postseason. And by the way, the Kansas City defense is, is scary. You know, I, the Mahomes gets the credit, as he should. The offense gets the credit, the offensive line, Kelsey, all that stuff. But watch their defense this year. Their defense is all over the place. Those young cornerbacks and the, 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 those young draft picks that are developing quickly – uh, and, you know, Nick Bolton's the truth, and we know what Chris Jones brings to the table. Real thoughts before I let you out here, uh, let you go. Um, as far as college football, there's a big weekend in college football with a number of ranked opponents. The big winners, to me, uh, were Ohio State, Ohio State, Florida State, and Alabama. Those are the big winners. Ohio State, that was a great football game, defensive game in Notre Dame. Of course, we have, you have two blue blood landmark programs going at it, all the history. Um, so it was special from that standpoint, Notre Dame Stadium. Notre Dame only had 10, point, 10, 10 men on the field the last, the last play, which is an absolute no-no, especially for a defensive coach in, in terms of Marcus Freeman. You can't have that. That just can't happen. Uh, give Ohio State a lot of credit. They had a, a, a young quarterback. They had a young quarterback on the road in that hostile environment. They went right down the field and scored a game-winning touchdown. It's not easy. Not easy on the road. Like that. That's a big-time win for Ohio State. Um, Notre Dame is still in it. Like you lose to Ohio State, you're not out the playoffs. We know one loss can doesn't put you out the playoffs. But it's a game that they probably probably should have won. Uh, especially with a quarterback, uh, a first-year quarterback. I don't, th- I don't think he's a true. He's not a true freshman. I think he's a redshirt freshman. But a young quarterback, that's a game that you probably should win. But great college football game. Very tremendous defensive game. Like the defenses were, the defenses were uh, phenomenal in that in that particular game. Alabama kind of settles things in against Ole Miss. Um, their quarterback had a big game in Florida State. Finally snapped a, a seven-year losing streak against Clemson. Clemson, I told we know from week one, Clemson is going to have a long year. They, they already lost two, their first two. They already owing two in the ACC. They're going to lose four or five games. This is all there is to it. Uh, they're going to have a long year in Clemson. Um, as far as the Deion Sanders discourse, I want to talk about that. So Colorado, as expected, got demolished by Oregon. Oregon is like – so much in terms of on at the point of attack, Oregon is not even comparable. Like Oregon just has better players just all around. Oregon is a legit top ten team. Uh will be competing for competing for a playoff spot. Um and you know, Colorado was not it just had no chance in that game. Um so here's here's what Dan Lanning said at halftime of the game. Now this is before remember, free game, he goes, you know, Wins versus clicks. We're about wins. They're about clicks. Blah blah blah. So on, so on. Uh, the Cinderella story's over and all that stuff. All that stuff. He knew the camera was in there, so that's that's why he said it. He knew the camera was in there. But that, I mean, he says he has a pregame speech like that every every week. But he knew you knew the camera was in there. Uh, but here's what the here's was not a direct quote, but this was as close to a direct quote as I as you know as you could get. I'm paraphrasing. 
I hope everyone who was watching the first three week, three weeks is watching today. So he said, I hope everyone who was watching the first three weeks is watching today. So when you hear something like that, now, in all fairness to Dan Lanning, I did watch Elias, his post-game press conference. He did say, yeah, I get a little hype. Maybe I need, I need to humble myself a little bit more. I get hyped and so on, so on. So I did, listen, I, I, I don't expect an apology out of Dan Lanning. And more really, he should apologize. I'm not like... I'm not saying that he said something that egregious to where, you know, I'm a, I'm, I should apologize to Deion Sanders. No, you want to talk your shit, talk your shit. But I'm just saying, what I'm telling you is this, there is a visceral attack on Deion Sanders. And Deion addressed it even in his post-game press conference. He's like, teams are not playing. They're not playing against us. They're playing against me. They're playing against me. So, Dion know what time Dion knows what time it is, and he has these coaches just scared to death. He went like like Oregon legitimately can compete for a championship this year, definitely a playoff spot. Let me give you Oregon's schedule, right? Let me give you Oregon's schedule uh, for the remainder of the season. Um, they have they have five ranked opponents, right? So. They have. They still have Washington. They still have Washington State. They still have USC. They still have Oregon State, and they have um. There's somebody else that I'm looking. For. No, I got it right here. I got it right here. So they'll get a. You know, they'll destroy Stanford next week. That'll be a walk, kick walk, and then they uh, have a bye. So the 14th, they have Washington. They go. They go Washington, which is a top 10 team, right? Seven. Washington State and Utah. Back to back to back, right? They they have USC, uh, they st- and then they have USC and Oregon State in two of the last three weeks. That is a that is as tough of a schedule for a ranked team as there is in the country right now. The Pac twelve is loaded. I mean, absolutely loaded. You look at the Pac twelve. You have, I mean, they have right now. Now Colorado dropped out the top twenty five, which was you know was expected. But the Pac-12 has five, six teams ranked in the top 19 teams. Six of the top 19 teams are in the Pac-12. It is an absolute loaded conference of talent and quarterbacking. You want to watch some great football this year, forget about the SEC, it's in the Pac-12. It just is. So I say that to say, if I'm, if I'm coaching Oregon, I would expect to destroy Colorado. Like, I wouldn't be putting all my eggs in the Colorado basket. Colorado, um, excuse me, was a 1-11 team last year. I'm trying to compete for a national championship playoff spot at minimum, Oregon. And you just, you could feel how, how much, how bad they wanted this game. And again, we talk about leadership. What Sean Payton is not doing for Denver it was the total opposite of Oregon. They have a very good program. Dan Lanning is a very good coach. I mean, last year they went ten and three, went won the Holiday Bowl. Um, he so far in his career, his short career as a head coach, he's fourteen and three. It's pretty, it's a very good record. But I just, you know, again, I wouldn't been, I would not been, would have not been putting all my eggs in the Colorado bat to beat Colorado. But that just shows you what Deion Sanders is bringing out of these coaches. That just I mean, like. It is absolute fear. 
is jealousy. He brings every single emotion out of these coaches. And I love what Deion said. Deion was listen, Deion Sanders has handled himself, has handled himself with nothing but glass throughout throughout the, all this. All this visceral hate. He's handled himself with not like just a straight professional. And it's funny, and it's kind of the hypocrisy is that people in Dan Lanning and other people say that, well, they're doing this stuff. You know, Kyle Ross getting all this tension is the clicks, and they're all about the flash and all about the style. You know who gets the clicks? Jay Norville, Dan Lanning. All these coaches who comment and talk about Deion Sanders, they're the ones getting the clicks. They're the ones getting attention. They're the ones trending. When they when they are consistently talking shit about Deion Sanders, Deion, Deion Sanders hasn't said anything directed towards any head coach as far as just talking, just out outright, just talking shit. They're saying we're going to do this, we're going to do that. He hasn't. He's come in and said, "Look, I, yes, we expect to win every game. We expect to compete, to dominate um, as far as all three phases." He, he gives you some coach speak, but he also says, "Hey, we I'm we're confident in what we can do. What we can do." What coach at that level isn't confident in what they can do in terms of their ability to coach football at a power five level, at a power in a, in a power five conference at that level? It's just not like you wouldn't be coaching if you didn't have that type of confidence. And I, I'm telling you, Breon Sanders has not conducted himself like prime time on the field did. I told you that last week, and I've been consistent with that. He has not. But again, People don't like disruptors. And people don't like when you shake up the system, when you when you basically don't give a shit about the system, the old way of doing things, they don't like it. You know, Nas had a great line. People fear what they can't understand. Hate they hate what they can't conquer. Guess is an inferior, man. I hope I got that line right. I just hope. But something like that. It's about probably 85% correct. Like maybe 90%. And I love, again, I love what Deion said. You better get me now. And he's right. <laughs> His recruiting class is he's gonna get he's gonna get top recruits. He's gonna get the transfers. They're like they're not they're gonna come to Colorado. He's going to win there. He is. So, you know, I I think that everybody. By the way, Dan Lanning does not have the cachet to come at Deion Sanders. Dan Lanning hasn't won anything. He's won a Holiday Bowl. That's cute. That's nice. Nobody cares about the Holiday Bowl as far as, like, no one outside of Oregon probably remembers who even played in the Holiday Bowl last year. It's a good bowl game, but, like, you're Oregon. You're competing. You're, listen, Oregon's played in the national championship before. They played in, they played in the national championship, lost to Elks. They played, they've, been, they've played in two championships, okay? They played in the national championship in 2011 and 2014 season. Lost both of them. Lost to uh, lost to uh, Auburn, the Cam Newton year, and they lost to Ohio State in 2014 season. So this is a this is a proud program. This is a program that's won a lot of games. This is a program. He and Dan Landing inherited a very good program for Mario Cristobal. So beating a team that was one and eleven last year, that's not the standard. That's not like that's not what I would be. Now again, players. I didn't care about the players dancing on the field. I could care less about the players going, you know, players, you know, these guys know each other. They're going to talk shit. Whatever. That, that's players. These, these are 18 to 21 year olds. They have the time of their life. It's a big moment. They know all the attention, all the hype of the game. I, I, they're kids. I don't, I don't, you know, they're grown men, but they, you know, they have 
they have kid like energy. I don't mind that whatsoever. It's not about the players. Players are gonna be players. They're gonna celebrate regardless of who they're playing if they get a win, especially a big win when they smack the team, you know, what, 42 to 3. But you you hear some of these coaches come at Dion and boy, it's it is it's it gets personal real quick. Real quick. Again, I love how Dion has handled it. He's handled it just like straight with straight class. Bye bye, Kevin. So anybody that watches the shy knows that actor Alex Hibbert, who had been a stalwart on the show, um, really one of the main characters, apparently is no longer going to be on the show. Again, I look, listen, I watched the shy. I've been following the shy since it started its inception back in 2018. Look, look, I, I, let me be honest with you. It's, <laughs> the writing is not great, but again, some of these shows, you just get hooked on the characters, especially the kids, and especially this season with Duda, what's going on with Duda. Now, I don't have a problem. I just didn't know that this was going to be Kevin's last season, let alone last episode. Now, again, you want to say hindsight, yeah, when he agreed to the to the L.A. gamer thing, it only makes sense that um, – they graduated, and he, you know, some of his friends going to college, doing their own thing. He's going to game in L.A., so you're not going to have him shooting scenes in L.A. So if I really would have sat down and thought about it, would have been like, oh, it, you know, now it makes all the sense in the world. But the bottom line is I don't follow the shy off outside of watching it like I did other shows that I was into, like The Wire, Breaking Bad, where you're following the news and stuff like that. No, I just watch the show from week to week, and that's it. But it is a guilty it is one of my guilty pleasure shows. I'm sorry. It just is. Uh similar to the power, the power universe series. I watch all the powers. Um watch all the, the current powers that are still going on. But this is unusual that a star of this magnitude on a show leaves without getting killed. This doesn't happen that often. Now we've seen stars who get killed off and it's like, oh damn, he they got they got killed. You know, Stringer Bell comes to mind, season three of The Wire, and it went on to do, what, two more seasons. So so that that was shocking. But and we that that became a recurrent theme. Uh big star, big characters getting killed uh throughout the course of the mid two thousand mid two thousand tens into the two thousand twenties with some of these shows, especially in the golden age of television. But um this is rare though, that a show, that a character of this magnitude gets written off. Uh, like this and you know when you look at his characters like what else could they do with it with his character like I, this is what I think would happen and I don't think this was anything personal or he did something on a set that or he uh, they didn't like him anymore I don't I, 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 this to me this feels like it was organic and what I think what happened is the other storylines just started just trumping what his storyline was going to be like this Duda storyline is just crazy. Like it's like it's basically everybody gets Duda. So you have that going on, right? That's Duda is like that dude right now as far as being the villain. Everybody in television loves a great villain. Okay, it's been been throughout the history of television. We I mean, go back to Dallas with J.R. Ewing. Um, you have the Emmett, you know, Keisha relationship, that dynamic, and then with the, you know his baby mama with Amon Shumper now then you bring in like Lynn Whitfield who's like a female Duda okay 
a woman version, excuse me, a woman version of Duda. I know y'all, we don't like fe- to use the word female anymore, okay? A, a, a woman version of Duda. She's a tremendous actress still. And, I, you know, Papa, what happened with his dad. So there have been other storylines that were developed that just are just, even even with the uh, the situation with um, uh, Kevin's girlfriend, the rapper and her, the daughter and it's just been other storylines that have just that have just surpassed Kevin's. Like Kevin's, for the most part, Kevin's storyline used to be at times in these storylines, definitely within the top two or three storylines. But I think it just got to a point to where they just did not know what to do with them. And this happened with Mad Men at the end with Don Draper. When remember when Don went on this trek across the country, they just didn't know what to do with them. And they were and there were other storylines that were more interesting than Don, than Don Draper's, which is hard to believe considering that he was the sh- the star of the show. Now go yes, please go back and watch the last season of uh, Mad Men. It was very odd. It still worked. And they did the smart thing. They didn't force Don Draper on us. But then, this is the difference. They kept Don Draper th- throughout the course because it was Don Draper. Like they couldn't you couldn't write off Don Draper. With the shy. Alex Hibbert is not John Hamm as far as Don Draper. He's not as big a star. He doesn't carry a show like that. So you can write his character off. Now, we, listen, there are about eight episodes left. Um, I've seen sites that said there were six. I've seen sites that said there were eight. So let's say six to eight episodes left. This is a two-part two part season. Part part A uh, was done uh, Sunday. Depending on if you are uh, subscribed on the app, you know you could have watched it Friday. So there are about six to eight episodes left. So I'd I'd be curious to see whether or not this is the last season. And probably like I I don't really see a season seven. If you're gonna do like this many episodes in this particular season, I don't see a season seven. So that that would if that's the case, then it definitely makes all the sense in the world. That's gonna wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I will see you later on. You will hear from me later on in the week. Have a great rest of your week. So long.